Welcome to the Tomahawk Show. My name is Joe Thomas. I am your humble co-host with my friend, Andrew Hawkins. And of course, no one can forget NFD. We have a special episode today. We're talking all things free agency. And we even have our good friend, Richard Sherman, on to discuss his latest contract, his time in Seattle. And he's going to give us a little bit of insight on Pete Carroll's future. And then maybe even talk a little bit about his future in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, we have an incredible show. I mean, all the free agency moves going on. Listen, we appreciate everyone listening to the Tomahawk here. Check us out anywhere podcasts are available, whether that's Apple, whether that's Spotify, SoundCloud, you name it. Make sure you subscribe, rate us five stars, and as always, hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag Tomahawk with an H with questions, comments, and we'd love to incorporate it into the show. The big news this week, Danny Boy, is free agency moves. Obviously, free agency opened this week. There's been a flurry of signings. What do we got to talk about today in free agency? All right, how about I go through, I read a few of the names, where they reportedly are ending up at, okay. and you guys give your breakdown. All right, I like it. Let's start off with Kirk Cousins, mm. Minnesota. So he got, what, three years, $84 million guaranteed, fully guaranteed, fully guaranteed, one of the first fully guaranteed contracts that we can remember. Yeah, that Obviously, big. huge dollars, you know, $27 million per year. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a big deal, but it's less than he probably could have got if he would have just auctioned himself to the highest bidder. Yes, I, you know what, I, and I think that, that's the point. You, you're probably going to take a little bit less for a fully guaranteed contract, which makes sense. I, I think, honestly, he may have changed the game a little bit because, like you said, this is the first structure this way where it's like no matter what, he's going to get his money, which is a crazy thing to think about. I didn't feel good about him going to Minnesota for a lot of reasons, but after I seen the contract terms, I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, that makes sense. So the way I look at this is I actually think – this is a big deal for the NFL, especially for the quarterback market, because there is this perception out there that quarterbacks are making so much money right now that they've got generational money, right? Mm -hmm. So their money is so high that they actually don't need to get market value to get more money than they ever need, right? So there's this pressure that comes from fans and from ownership to take a little bit less than they could and save a lot of salary cap space for the rest of the guys in the team. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Tom Brady was a guy that notoriously did it. Drew Brees just did it uh, a couple days ago in New Orleans. And now we've got a guy, Kirk Cousins, who's taking a little bit less than he could have gotten from maybe the Jets or one of these other teams that really wanted a quarterback to go to a better situation, right? But how do you compensate a player for taking less than his market value and saving money for the rest of the the team and hoping that ownership spends it on the rest of the team, right? How do you compensate them? So if you're not giving them dollars, what what can you give them? Yeah. Guaranteed money. That's it. So now they're, Kirk Cousins is saying, well, I could get 31 or $32 million per year on the open market, but instead of taking all that salary cap space, I'm going to take a little bit less, but you've got to give me something for giving up something. So give me fully guaranteed money. It's actually a win-win for the team and the player. Yeah, I think with Kirk Cousins, and this is just me giving my analysis, I don't think he's going to fit well into uh, John DePoto's really? offense. Really? Why do you say I that? I think you played for Flip. I played for Flip. I played for Jay Gruden. I played for Shanahan, which are all three of his his quarterbacks. I just felt like he was better suited in that Shanahan style because that's where he thrived best. Flips is more along the Jay Gruden style, and and as you've seen, Kirk didn't do well in that Jay Gruden kind of openness of an offense. He didn't do it as as good as he did in the Shanahan McVay style of offense. So from that perspective, I thought it was risky for him because he's going to a situation that in Minnesota, they're coming off of an NFC championship. So anything less than that is a failure for Kirk Cousins. Because that, that team is still intact, with the exception of maybe a running back or two. Like, anything less than an NFC championship is a failure. And when you have the ball raised that high, and it's not going to come – the things aren't going to be pointed to anybody but Kirk Cousins because you're the, you're the only new piece to this puzzle. So that is like, if you don't play well, if this team is – underachieving and they're they're not doing the things that case keenan was doing with that team it could hurt your longevity because you're coming off of two seasons in the in washington where you didn't make the playoffs where washington even said oh we don't want to sign him long term now it could have been some personal feelings or whatever but on the outside looking at a career it looks like your your pinpoint on your graph is heading downward so if you do this again in minnesota then that could be catastrophic to your future earning potential as a professional because they might say, oh, okay, this guy, quote-unquote, was never that good. But I will say, with guaranteed money, none of that shit matters. (laughs) So 
in that perspective, regardless of where how I think he fits into this offense or to um, Jeremy Bates' offense in New York, which runs that Shanahan style of offense, if the money is there, then it doesn't matter. It's like an NBA contract. We could sign you to big money. You could sign me to big money. Whether I suck or not, as long as I'm still getting paid, it doesn't matter because that that's my safety net. Yeah, you mentioned that Minnesota's taking a huge risk here by signing Kirk because uh, if the trajectory continues downward like it has in the last couple seasons and all of a sudden they don't even make the playoffs next year, mm-hmm. or let's say they make the playoffs, they lose in the first round next year, and the following year they go 9-7 uh, and seven or 7-9. Seven and nine. Yeah. All of a sudden, people are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We had a better team before Kirk Cousins showed up. Now we paid this guy $84 million, and he hasn't taken us where we expected this contract was going to take us, which is a Super Bowl championship. they got a lot of problems on their hands because they've got no repercussions that they can do anything about it within that contract. So uh, they're both in a tough spot. But, you know, a lot of times when uh, the back's against the wall, which Minnesota's GM, front office, everybody, their back's a little bit against the wall now because they're telling their franchise, hey, we're bringing this guy in to win the Super Bowl. And so now those expectations are up there. And with Kirk, he's going there saying, I went here not because they gave me the most money, but because I want to win a Super Bowl. Now he knows where those expectations are. So there's a lot of pressure on both those guys to succeed and to succeed at the highest level, which, as we know, is is not a given anywhere within the NFL unless your name is Tom Brady and you play for the (laughs) Patriots. Uh, So it's interesting. It'll be fun to watch. There's definitely going to be a lot of stress in that building uh, for the next few years. Uh, I know you know Mike Zimmer a little bit. He's already sort of a high-stress guy. I love Mike Zimmer. He's under that uh, Bill Parcells, uh, Bill Belichick. keep everybody stressed mode and uh, it'll be fun to watch I'm excited to see what happens I like guys who tell it like it is and I I hate guys who don't like I like I hate to talk to guys and feel like I didn't really have a conversation with you like I never want to talk to you again Mike Zimmer is the opposite he will give you exactly how he feels like if you met Mike Zimmer and he thought you were an a-hole and you introduced yourself like, hey, Mike Zimmer, my name is Joe Thomas. He'd be like, I think you're an asshole. <laughs> and that would be this very like first guy. line I in your it. conversation. And then everything else tells from there. But, I mean, you look at the Vikings. They're going to have three of their quarterbacks who were the roster last year. Starting quarterbacks <laughs> in other places around the league. And they brought a new guy in and fully right. guaranteed his contract. Unbelievable. Like you said, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Well, speaking of that, other reported quarterback movement, Case Keenum, Denver, mm-hmm. and Teddy Bridgewater, Jets. Yeah, I mean, I like Case Keenum in Denver, and I mean, Bridgewater is on a prove-it deal, um, as he should be, um, because, you know, that injury is just a lot of question marks. But before that, he was, a, he was a great quarterback, and he was one of the guys who was trending in that direction, but we have to make sure that his knee is okay. What are your thoughts on, on, on uh, Keenum to, to Denver? So I think Keenum to Denver is a good move. I think Case is the right fit for that offense. He can move around a little bit. Um, he did a great job in Minnesota this year. And yeah. I think Denver's been looking for that quarterback since Peyton left. And so when they see Case Keenum in there throwing a few touchdown passes to <laughs> only an interception or two, they're going to be thinking they've got the reincarnation of John Elway. So for him, it's probably a great situation. For I think sure. that team is all of a sudden a contender there in the AFC West. So I think it's a good fit for him. I think that was probably the best fit in Denver, uh, other than maybe Kirk Cousins. I thought, obviously, I think he, he could have been a good fit there. Yeah. But uh, the interesting signing for me was Teddy Bridgewater with the Jets because they just signed Josh McCown also to right. a one-year contract. Shout out contract. to Josh. Tomahawk Shout out to our listener. Guy. Tomahawk, yeah. friend of the Tomahawk. Friend of the Tomahawk show. Now Josh just signed a one-year $10 million deal, which is a good deal for a, a backup. A 40-year-old quarterback. quarterback, yeah. I mean, are we saying that Josh is the backup there now and Teddy's the starter or Josh is the starter and Teddy's the backup? Because everyone kind of expects the Jets to draft a quarterback as well. So right. do they do they draft a guy high and then they have Teddy and Josh on the roster. Like, what's the plan, do you think, with all these three guys? I think so, too. I think, number one, anybody who's paying Josh, because he's so smart, because he is such a – like, just, you're not going to meet a person who says they don't like Josh McCown. That's number one. So no I doubt. think it's kind of a deposit um, for his head coaching job with the Jets. So anybody who pays him is kind of like giving him a little money extra. So he's now. the highest head paid head coach. Yes, they're all getting an the advancement, <laughs> you know, for when he's when he gets into coaching. That's number one. Number two, what you get in Josh is he's the best insurance policy in the league. Yeah. If he's a backup, he should he's the highest paid backup, which he should be, because he's a guy that can come in there and win you games. And honestly, if your roster is right, he could make you a playoff team. Like Josh is very good. Yes, he's on the other side of thirty five or thirty six or whatever it is. Um, but that that goes to tell you how smart he is and how great of a an asset he is to your team and josh understands it that's my, that's my favorite part about him that 
he's going to go in there and give you the same guy whether he's playing, whether he's backing up. And I'm sure he's told them, and they've had the conversations, like, look, if we get a young guy in here, like, we need you to help us get this guy ready. And we've seen him do that firsthand. When he was in Cleveland, anybody who was starting, they felt like they could go to Josh for anything, whether that's Manziel, whether that was, you know, RG3, or whether that was Cody Kessler. It was like, hey, this is a guy we can rely on to help us um, with no ulterior motive. So even his presence in the locker room is that important and, and well worth the $10 million they gave him. And honestly, I think it shakes out. He ends up probably being the starter for a long period of time next year. This episode is brought to you by HP+. Plus. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. Plus. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. So we got our first sponsor this week from our good friends at Casper Mattress. Uh, what we need to do is send our good friend Josh McCown some calcium supplements because uh, for the last <laughs> like seven years, it seems like he's shattered some bone in his body every season. So I think we could probably get him on some of those osteoporosis drugs. So help, help thicken up some of those old man bones that he's got. And uh, maybe we can join him and uh, the calcium supplements as another sponsor on the show. That'd be a lot of fun. NFD, what else do we got in free agency? All right, the Chicago Bears reportedly with a couple new receivers. Allen Robinson and one that you broke your breaking good friend, news mr taylor gabriel mr. taylor gabriel Brown. oh gabe yeah another great guy i'm very happy for him yes man he got a lot of money too from what i hear did he really yeah but it, i mean i love it because that offensive coordinator had was so successful with tyreek hill who was another you know diminutive right yeah diminutive wide receiver and, and gabe is of that that stature so i think they do a great job of getting the guys like that the ball um you know it's funny because like i said gabe was here in cleveland in 2014, and I, I remember that season. I mean, if you look at that roster, and I remember all the articles about how bad our roster was and how bad our receiving core was and how we had no weapons. And if you look at that now, and we had Travis Benjamin, you know, Taylor Gabriel, Josh Gordon, Andrew Hawkins, Joe Thomas, Alex Mack, Mitchell Schwartz, Deion Lewis, Willie Sneed was on the roster. Like, yeah. That might have been the most talented roster <laughs> Cleveland has had in 30 years. Nobody knew it. But nobody knew it except the guys in the locker room. And that's why I love to see these guys continue to go on, make all this money, and the rest of the league say, yo, man, this guy has talent because it goes to show you where everyone was shocked that we were 7-4, and four, and it seemed like, oh, man, these guys are striking you know, lightning and it's all lucky. Well, no, we had a really, really good team, and it was only going to get better had we kept it in place. I'll never forget a story I saw about Taylor Gabriel. He did an interview and he talked about how he in college would watch you, Hawk. Yeah, no and way. Study your game films and highlights. There it is, man. So here's an insulting comment of the day right here. <laughs> uh, I remember that was your first year on the team. Uh-huh. So that was our first year as teammates. And then we drafted, sorry, we signed an undrafted Taylor Gabriel yep. from Abilene Christian University yep. in Abilene, Texas. I think it's one double A or yep. Division Two. I mean, it is a tiny school. Right. Uh, but you guys are both exactly the same height and weight. <laughs> so meeting my two new receivers, and he was number 16 and you were 18. So when you guys were in the huddle, it was impossible <laughs> for me at left tackle to figure out which one it was. <laughs> and I was like, hey, Hawk. I don't know how many times I said, hey, Hawk. And Gabe looked up and was like, you asshole. <laughs> my name's Taylor Gabriel. Stop calling me Hawk. <laughs> it wasn't you either. We would be in meetings. I think Shanahan did it Shanahan about did a Shanahan did it every single day. Like, this is a great Even job. Even your receivers you, coach were doing it. Every time they would say it, when it was a good play and they would call it Hawk and it was Gabe, I'd be like, thanks, Coach. And then when he messed up, I'm like, Coach, that's Gabe. Gabe missed that block, Coach. I love it. Plausible deniability. <laughs> Fantastic. But, hey, it's funny because I broke, quote-unquote, broke the story on Twitter that Taylor was Adam Schefter, with, with part the Bears. Two. And, you know, it was like getting it's getting all these retweets and, and likes and comments, and everyone's like, oh, man, Hawk's breaking news. And it's like, no, I'm not breaking news. <laughs> I've literally been walking the dude through the whole process. We've been talking on the phone the entire time. You're like his agent. Not his agent, but, I mean, I'm his, you know, I'm like his mentor. I'm like his guy. We're, we're friends. I've been through the process. I've helped him through it. You know, was facilitating a few things to help him. But So that's how I knew. It wasn't the fact that I got any <laughs> – any good media information. They're like, oh, you should start breaking news. I'm like, I could care less about breaking yeah, news. And yeah. I give away my sources. So I would be a terrible <laughs> newsbreaker. Plus, you like sleeping. You know, like exactly. Adam Schefter, those guys that are good at what they do, 
they don't sleep for like the full month around free agency right. because they're constantly calling agents and players and trying to make those connections and Not get me. that scoop. I like to be snuggled Not up Andrew, in my he likes Casper his two mattress. Hours. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he likes his two hours on his Casper mattress every night. <laughs> well, here's another former Brown you had just mentioned, Deion Lewis. Yeah. Tennessee. What, what did he get paid? Do you have his numbers? I think it was like four years, $23 million? Sounds about right. Four years, $23 million, which makes him one of the highest running backs, paid running backs in the league, which is amazing because, again, he was here – on that roster in camp, one of the guys we let go to, just, to see where he's at, man. And, you know, he's busted his butt. He went to New England, which isn't, a, isn't an easy place to stick. And not only did he stick there, again, he's one of those guys who had the stigma as a scat back, a third down back. But if you look at the season the Patriots had this year, he did all the heavy lifting. So he was a guy who was getting 20 touches a game. He was getting the ball running. He was catching it out of the backfield. And he was like a Mr. Everything for a New England backfield that was kind of deep. Because they traded for uh, the guy from Buffalo. They already had a deep roster, and they're just known to bounce guys around. They had, you know, Rex Burkhead in the building, and Dion rose above the rest, and he was rewarded with the big contract for it. I remember when he was in Cleveland, he had a monster preseason. The Browns traded for him. He's going off in the preseason and broke his leg the yeah. first preseason game. Yep. And what happens is when you have guys who are quick like that, because it's happened to me, they get nervous that, oh, he's not going to be the same player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here we are again. Like I said, imagine if we still had that guy on the roster. I think they get a, a stigma, too, because they are quick and they have to use those quick cuts that mm-hmm. their body's not going to be able to hold up to all the forces that go through your body when you are making those sudden moves and those quick cuts on the field. So they thought, uh-oh, he's going to be a guy that's injury-prone. He's, right. he's a little guy already. He's going to take those hits, and he's not going to be able to hold up. But he's proven it, and he's been rewarded with a great contract, so we're happy for our man, Deion Lewis. Yeah, for sure. Who else we got there, Danny? Another running back, Isaiah Crowell. Ah, Crow, where'd he go? Jets. Crow to the Jets. How did I miss that? You've been sleeping on Jeez. your Casper mattress? I should have broke that story. I got to text Crow like, hey, man, you got to give me those. You got to give me that news. That should <laughs> be on my Twitter. with you. That's weird. Golly, Crow. No, I'm happy for Crow. Crow is, uh, I want to say Crow averages in his career 4.1 yards a carry, which is he's one of like, for the, for the threshold of the amount of carries that it takes, like guys who have basically been getting the ball very consistently, he's like top five in the league. Which is amazing, and that and that's Crow. Crow was a super hard runner, um, powerful as heck. Like you know, like dude, I can't tell you how strong this guy is, and I think he's gonna a change of pace will be good for him. I think the situation here in Cleveland was just, you know, it, it was tough for everybody, and I think it was just one of those things where both the Browns and Crow needed a change of scenery. But he is he is a really talented back as well. No doubt. I think one of the things that you need to mention when you talk about Isaiah Crowell is his durability. He's a guy that yeah. I think in his entire career he's never been injured to the point where he couldn't play a game. So yeah. for a running back that runs as physically and as hard as he does, that's an in- incredible trait. And this I think the Jets Mr. Durability over here. That's right, Mr. Durability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until about, my elbow snapped. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> modesty is your thing too, Joe, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> what were you, the Vanilla Volcano? Yeah, that was the Vanilla Volcano, but that's only on the dance floor. Okay, that I was, get you. That was the nickname that uh, Mike Silver gave me. <laughs> <laughs> Vanilla Volcano. Well, shout out to Crow. Yeah. Yeah, I Crow, love to see all my young him, guys. Make money, man. It's cool to make money in the league because so many people don't make it. They don't make it to free agency and get a big payday. Yeah. So it's cool to see all these guys kind of go off and, and, and get that get that check. There's a lot of luck that goes into it. Obviously, you know, I never made free agency. I, I re-signed before my last right, but you got year paid. on my contract. But I was paid handsomely. You know, I'm yeah. happy about that. Never begrudged my contract. No, you're wearing But there's plenty of guys that, you know, have a couple right good now. years. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's a couple guys that have, have good years, but then they don't time it right and so they never make it to that free agency when they're healthy mm-hmm. and they're able to cash in on the work that they put in no doubt jimmy graham green bay packers wow graham to the packers you like it really and they got rid of jordy nelson yeah that was an interesting move i i think it's an age thing but usually a guy that's been around an organization the way jordy has represented the organization the way he has they don't just get rid of them before they're done i mean this is almost like a New England Patriots move where they kind of see the writing on the wall that he's going to start going down in production in the next year or two, and so yeah. they try to cut him preemptively. But I don't know. I, I, I didn't like that move, but I, I think 
the signing of um, Jimmy Graham could be a good thing. Obviously, they like having a big weapon for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Uh, but now they got a hold of Phil at receiver with Jordy Nelson. And that's my thing. I don't get like I, I, maybe it was a situation where they thought he was going to take a pay cut or they asked him to take a pay cut. I don't know, but to release him the day of free agency. That's dirty, usually. That's like, that's dirty. Yeah. It's dirty, especially for a person that has devoted so much to your franchise. Like, that's, yeah. that, that really does the player a disservice. And everyone talks about when a player is disloyal, when he holds out, or, yeah. you know, when he doesn't sign with a new team, with, with the same team. Like, to release a guy on the day of free agency is like such a slap in the face because what happens is all the other teams kind of have their free agency board and they're already chasing their guys. Probably, if we're being honest, for two, three days now, maybe even longer than that. Since the combine. Since the combine. They're chasing these guys. They're talking to their agents. They they have their board. And so you're not focused on anybody you're not aware of that's going to be available. And so to release a guy on the day of free agency, like I said, it just doesn't uh, extreme disservice. They should have done it a week earlier because if they released him that day, they already they already knew he wasn't going to be on the roster next year. And I, like I said, I just think it's a slap in the face and, mm-hmm. and a, a dirty move by the Packers. The Packers have always been one of those classy organizations that have always done things the right way. Uh, it's a team that's owned essentially by the city and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like there's got to be more to the story. I can't imagine that they would do that to such a face of the franchise. I mean, he's been the face of the franchise outside of Aaron Rodgers yeah. for the last eight, nine years, done everything the right way. He's been Aaron Rodgers' best target. So I just don't understand why they would do it to him today. There's got to be more to that story. So I guess we'll we'll keep right. uh, our thumb on that one and figure out what happened. Keep tabbing on Jordy Nelson. Was little, you love a little Wisconsin news. What else we got, Dan? All right, and this one wasn't movement, but it was Drew Brees staying with the Saints. Yeah, I, I, I think that contract, I think it was tw- two years, $50 million, with $27 million guarantee, which is essentially a one-year guarantee for Drew Brees, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, the face of your franchise, the Super Bowl winner. And it, it, it just marveled me that Drew Brees got a two-year deal and only got one year of it guaranteed. Yeah, he's obviously vastly underpaid based on what his market value is, right? Okay, uh-huh. $50 million, that's a ton of money for anybody. It right. doesn't matter what sport it is or what business you're in, that's a ton of money. But if he would have gone to the highest bidder, you know, I heard Minnesota had – talk to him about maybe giving him an offer uh-huh. or you know Cleveland we talked about him sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit right. in the last few uh, months about coming to Cleveland but there was some suitors out there if he wanted to leave New Orleans he could have gotten well over probably 30 million per season because like you mentioned he's one of the top five quarterbacks in my opinion of all time yes he's had an incredible career but being the face of New Orleans being sort of the governor mayor of that area uh it's no surprise that he stayed there but yeah. he did decide to take less, and like you mentioned, he only took $27 million guaranteed, which is less than Kirk Cousins, a guy that went 7-9 and nine last year and, to my knowledge, has not won any Super Bowls like Drew Brees has. Well, that, And that's my thing. I don't, I don't mind the contract. Like, it, I don't know the situation, and every situation is different because Drew could say, hey, I'm not playing for anybody but the Saints, number one. Which number he, he came out publicly and said that. And it's like maybe I only want to play one year. Like, So maybe I'm going to retire next year, just sign me to a two-year deal, guarantee my one year. And then I'll, I'll, you know, fade off into the horizon. But still, I'm, I'm, my problem with it is the fact that if Drew Brees didn't have an agent, let's say Drew Brees negotiated his contract himself, the conversation would be like, oh, man, he should have an agent. Uh, you know, he, he didn't get he didn't do the research. He didn't get the best deal possible because that's been the conversation around the Rus- the uh, Richard Sherman deal, which was very similar to the Russell Okung deal. Uh, how these guys represented themselves, and I'm not I'm not a proponent for guys representing themselves. I think if you have the ability, you have the ability, or if you're in the situation, you're in the situation. But that I just feel like if Drew Brees was where Richard Sherman was in the way he negotiated this contract, they would be bashing him because I don't think Richard Sherman deal is as bad as it's made out to be in the public. Yeah, I, I think that Drew Brees obviously was in a really unique situation because he said he wants to stay in New Orleans. New Orleans obviously wants him. He's the face of the organization. He's 40 years old, you know, on down the line reasons why he's going to stay in New Orleans. Now, I don't know why you'd have an agent in that situation. I mean, right. AFD could have done that deal in his sleep. Basically, he's just saying, give me a lot of money and uh, two years yeah. and I'll play. There's like no crazy escalators or clauses. I mean, it's a very simple deal. But what what I would really like to see, and this is something I talked with some of my friends in the NFL over the last couple of days about, is 
there's all these quarterbacks now that they're making so much money because they're so valuable to the franchise and to the organization that they're actually taking less than their market value, but they're making twice as much as the next best player on their team, mm -hmm. right? Because that's their value. Because quarterback's the most valuable position in a team sport that I know of in the world. And so these quarterbacks are being influenced by ownership and by the fans and the franchise to take less money to supposedly save money under the salary cap space to sign other guys, right? Right. Now, sometimes it doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, in this business, you get people in the front office that make that commitment to you, but then they leave a lot of salary cap space on the table. Uh, there's been reports that it happened in New England a few years ago with Tom Brady. He takes less money. They agree that they're going to sign some weapons for him to throw to, and then they don't sign the weapons. Uh, I think what these quarterbacks should be doing – because I'm going to be an agent in a couple years for uh, sure. I'll yeah. be the next big quarterback agent like Tom Condon. Tomahawk agency. I'm going to say, okay, I like the idea that I'll take less money, but you got to make the whole contract guaranteed. But there's going to be a clause in here that every dollar that you don't spend that's under the salary cap of the adjusted salary cap, which is the true amount of money you're allowed to spend on uh -huh. player salaries, every dollar less than you spend is a dollar that I get reimbursed at the end of the season. So – if you are you honest with me, salary cap if money. you are honest with me, saying you need to take five million less this year, like Drew Brees probably did, so that we can spend it on somebody else, that's great. I'm all for spreading it around and building a great team around me. But if you're lying to me and you end up not spending it, and that five million goes right into your pocket, a guy that's already got many, many billions of dollars. That, that's wrong because you just lied to me and you lied to my family. Yeah. And so I need it in writing. I don't want to take your word for it. I need it in my contract. And if it's anything less than what we've talked about, if there's $1 less than the salary cap, that needs to go to me as a roster bonus at the end of the season, whenever that is, uh, February 23rd. As a future general manager, I would not be doing business with you <laughs> or any of your clients. I'm too shrewd, but yeah, I don't you like would it. only I don't do like deals with guys that didn't have agents because yeah, apparently exactly. you hate agents. Yeah, I don't hate agents, man. I love agents. I'm just saying I don't like how every time a player represents himself, there's almost like a, a campaign to, like, say this contract is the worst ever and an agent would have – do you know how many shitty agents – 97% of agents are shitty. Oh, wow. That's a high percentage. Listen, I don't care. Like, there's 3%. If you're in the good percent, you'll know you're in the good percent. If you're offended by that statement, you're probably in the 97%. I can't tell you how many of these guys are incompetent. Like, the test has gotten harder from the NFLPA, but before it was such an, an easy – I remember my brother going through trying to pick an agent, and I was young – and there was, like, a guy who represented, like, musicians who knew nothing about football, but he wanted to get into it. And it was, like, so easy for him to happen. And he got, like, a bunch of big-name guys that he eventually stole a bunch of money off of. So you can't say that every agent is better than a player. That's Because it's not the truth. It's just, it's just not factual. I'm not saying every player should represent himself. But, again, I don't think every agent makes the situation better. Are you talking about Jay-Z? Isn't he an agent? <laughs> yes. Jay-Z is an agent. Actually, he, his people represent Hugh Jackson. Yeah, and they represent a lot of big-name guys, and they actually yeah. get them a ton of money. But, you know, think about like situations like that, and I think this is where the agency side is going. You have to do more than just represent the contract. I don't want to hear about how, you know, I caught 70 balls in a season, and I'm going to make this amount. You're just going to take 3% of it. No, what else are you doing? I need some marketing. I need some marketing dollars. I need something that helps me set up past when I'm done playing. I need something more than you just taking. There's no other industry in the world where you do all the work and then give somebody else 3%. So I think it's important for the casual fan who maybe doesn't understand sort of how the media and how the interaction with agents works and how the leaks happen so the reason you're sort of mentioning the people in the media have a vested interest in bashing players that do their own deal and pumping up agents is because the majority of leaks that happen from uh, player to the media go mm. through agents because mm. the agents are going to give the media members, they're giving those guys the information. They're giving them the scoop, right? And in exchange for the scoop, a lot of times it's a quid pro quo. So the uh, media guy then is going to pump up whatever player the agent has, right? Right. So it's it's a symbiotic relationship between the agent and the media member that they don't want to lose if players start representing themselves uh, in waves. Right. And so it's easy to understand how after a player represents himself that 
the people in the media don't want this to happen and become wildfire and catch yeah. on because if they lose their leaks and they lose their information gathering from those agents, they're going to lose their job For because sure. they're not going to have that information to be able to stand in front of the ESPN camera and talk about what Andrew Hawkins is going to do in free agency or what's going on behind closed doors in this organization. And now don't let's not pretend this only happens with players and their agents. This happens with coaches and their agents. Of course. This happens with front office guys and their agents. So this is all part of the business and this is how it works and this is how those guys get their information right and again i don't hate agents i had an agent i had an incredible agent who is one of my great friends like i talk to him still even though i'm done playing i talk to him on a weekly basis and but through our whole process we were very much a team he was kind of a mouthpiece for what i wanted and he understood that and it was like hey well this is what i think this is what i think well ultimately i make the decision so go about it this way and it was extremely valuable but again for a, there are players who can represent themselves and can represent themselves just as good as other agents if they do the, the, the right research and put the right time in. That's all I'm saying. Speaking of players representing themselves, we've got Richard Sherman on the line now. We do. Is, is he here? Hello. Can you hear me, Richard? What up, brother? Okay, okay, beautiful. And now it's my distinct pleasure to welcome on the hotline Mr. Richard Sherman, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks, now with the San Francisco 49ers, and uh, we got into a little bit of a, uh, a Twitter back and forth the, uh, a couple days ago after you signed your new deal in San Francisco. I said I didn't think your deal was a good deal for a cornerback of your character, and of course my man, co-host Andrew yeah. Hawkins, defended you. He said thought it was he, a bad thought take. It was, he thought it was a bad take, which, which is fair. And uh, so we figured we'd go right to the man himself and, and let you – Tell us exactly what you think about the process of negotiating a new deal and kind of some of the things that maybe people wouldn't necessarily know right off the bat just from reading articles about uh, what exactly happened. So why don't you give us here at Tomahawk Show an idea of what things we might not know that went into the decision of signing with San Francisco? Well, you know, like I said, when we had our conversation, um, a lot of factors went into this decision. It wasn't just, you know, hey, you know, the San Francisco 49ers play Seattle and it's a big-time robbery. I'm, I'm going to sign with them. Um, at the end of the day, they were the first team that called. They were the team that showed the most interest, offered the most money. <clears throat> um, and and once we did our medical, you know, I'm coming off of two off-season surgeries on, on both legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, they, they, they needed to be protect, protected in case, you know, my injuries never heal the way they're supposed to. I never return my ability to to, to play football at a high level um, isn't there anymore. And I was fine with that. You know, I trust in myself. I trust in my ability to heal, to rehab, to, to grind. Um, and I wanted to be protected in case I do return to form. I return to form, um, and I play at a Pro Bowl level, and I'm voted to Pro Bowl, All-Pro, et cetera, et cetera. I want to be compensated as such. And the number that, that they offer me, I was comfortable with. You know, I, I get my money guaranteed once I make a Pro Bowl, you know, I make an all-pro, and it, it gets even better. But uh, that was something I was really comfortable with, and, and on top of my family, my family needing to be on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and, and you know, that was that was a requirement for a very for for a number of reasons, and, and you know, that's that's personal, but uh, but that was something that that also mattered, and they were the, the one of the few teams on the West Coast that, that that gave me a shot. So, you know, all those things went into my decisions. So one thing that I think was actually misreported and that I had wrong um, was this clause in your contract about having to be healthy uh, and pass your physical on the first day of training camp. Well, everybody else on the team passes their physical. But actually, in order to get that escalator in your contract, uh, you corrected me yesterday that you only have to be healthy by sometime in November. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, have, to, I have to be healthy by the last day that you can come off pup, off PUP. And that's that's much later. I think it's November 11th was the, was the date. Yeah. And I was perfectly fine with that. You know, I, if I can't come off by November 11th, something must went catastrophically wrong. And, you know, they, they like I said, they deserve to be protected. So one, one thing that I thought um, I was critical of was your decision to sign a three-year deal instead of a one-year deal. Did you talk at all with San Francisco about the option of signing a one-year deal and then – you know, showing that you're back to Pro Bowl form and that you're healthy, and then going into free agency next year. I did. I did. I talked to. I talked to them. I worked with them. I asked them about the, the ability to avoid them after a Pro Bowl year, and you know, and I did that with the other teams too. Because I talked to Detroit. I talked to Oakland. I talked to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to Miami, and 
everybody was pretty much like, you know, if we, we offer you a one-year deal, it'll be substantially less, you know, a chance for you to make substantially less. Yes, you'll get it. you get you get out of it quicker, but you won't have the ability to make as much this season. And I was I was comfortable with, with uh, the situation I was going into. Um, I didn't want to keep moving my family around um, year after year, one year here, one year there, one year there. I, you know, I have small children and, and they're young. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that also went into my decision. So I'm like this. I, I, I'm with you, Sherm, and, and that, that's the reason why I came in the defense of the contract. So I just feel like, and I'm sure you recognize this, every time a player negotiates his own deal, there seems like there's a, a vested interest for people to bash it no matter what the contract looks like because there's some people who would rather – Players never take control of the fact they're negotiating their own deal. I'm not saying every player should negotiate their own deal, but in this deal specifically, they were saying, oh, it's less than market value. There isn't uh, The guarantees aren't there for a, cali- a player his caliber. And like you said, I'm saying, okay, they're not taking into consideration the fact that Sherman will be 30 at the end of the month. He's coming off of a surgery on both legs this offseason, um, and he missed all of last season on top of the fact that it is a multi-year deal, and it's a like you said, if, if he plays well, he gets compensated that way. So yes, the guarantees aren't if if he never got hurt, this would be a completely different contract. This would be a completely different situation. 100%. So you can't. It's like measuring apples to oranges because in this specific situation, you can't tell me there's another you know thirty plus year old cornerback coming off this kind of injury who's got a contract like this. And there's not an agent out there I don't believe could have gotten a better multi-year deal. Like I I, I am of the opinion that a one-year deal prove it would have gave you bigger upside on the back end but regardless if you're doing a multi-year deal you're not going to make as much you don't have the ability to make 13 million in that first year if you do a one-year deal because no one's going to go for that and the way that this is structured the incentives are based off of health and not performance it's 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 incentivized off play time so as long as you're in the game you make a majority of this money and it's not all tied to whether or not you have the lowest completion percentage in the league, which is also a rarity in your situation, right? And that's that's what I appreciated about them. It wasn't it wasn't like they were just trying to like say, "Hey, man, we're going to try to screw you over with with this deal." It was like, "Hey, you make it through the season, you play, you you just play in these games. You make mm-hmm. you, you make ten, eleven million dollars, and if you play at the level you you're capable of, you make thirteen. And you know, every year they they want to say." You know, every year of my contract, it's like, oh, look how old he's getting. And I'm not even 30 yet. Right. So imagine how they're going to talk when I get 30, regardless exactly. of if I'm playing at a higher level or not. They act like you're going to fall off a cliff the next year, regardless of how, you know, how well you've been playing. You have, they haven't seen the drop-off at all. They still say, hey, next year he's going to be 31. Next year he's going to be 32. And I don't want to have to, have to keep having these conversations. So Most I felt comfortable with, with how I stepped in, into the, to the play. One guy that we really love on the Tomahawk Show, both Andrew and I have played for, is Kyle Shanahan. He's the new head coach there in San Francisco. He's your new head coach. How much did he weigh into your decision to signing with San Francisco? Oh, huge. It was huge. As you guys know, he's, a, he's an incredible football mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, he's an incredible tactician. Uh, he's great at, at, at schemes, drawing, drawing up schemes to, to combat the defense, whether it's whether it's you know that the team has a has a penetrator, has a great corner, has a great safety, or has the opposite, he has ways of manipulating coverage and manipulating the defense in a way to make sure his quarterback is in the best possible position. And on top of that, he got a he got a really good quarterback um, who fits well in the scheme. It was it was a win win. I know you said that you tried to um, negotiate a little bit with Seattle and it didn't seem like they were interested. What happened there, and, and why did your time end uh, a little bit on a bitter note the way it did? Well, it was just, it's just unfortunate. You know, I, you know at, at the end of the day, it just seems like, um, seems like they're, they're, they're kind of, I don't know how to say it, they, they've kind of lost their way a little bit in terms of, you know, how they see players and how they evaluate players. Um, it was kind of an odd situation because, you know, we've obviously had players injured multiple times, multiple years, and this is the first time anybody who has been injured as a core player has, has been cut. Mm. So that that was kind of, you know, it felt kind of disrespectful to me in a way. You know, I mean, we, we had we had Earl got hurt, you know, for the remainder of the year once. Um, Jimmy got hurt. You know, Percy got hurt. You know, I can go down the list of players that got hurt that continued to play until the, 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 the end of their contracts. Or, you know, Percy got traded, but yeah. everybody else plays to the end of their contract. 
Now, and it, to me, it kind of felt like. But, now, was it, was that a situation where they asked you to take a pay cut, or was it that they were like, "Oh no, we're just moving on. We're going in a different direction." No, they didn't. They didn't actually take pay cut at all. They yeah. they said they were, you know, they were just going to give me a chance to to you know fill out free agency. I, I don't think they thought I would get a get a decent offer. Um, and I think you know once I got this offer, I, I turned around and offered it to Seattle. I said, "This is what they offer me. What you guys, you know, you guys going to come close? You guys going to do anything, you know, in the sort?" And they said no. Mm. And you know, after, at the end of the day, I can't, you know, I can't do anything other than that. Right. The the great Legion of Boom that led you guys to a Super Bowl championship and then the uh, Super Bowl runner-up performance, something that I've never been able to uh, enjoy myself. Uh, it seems like those guys no, are all – <laughs> Those guys are all – we, we played there uh, a few years ago and you guys kicked our ass. So I, Naturally. I, naturally, which was not a big surprise. But I tell you what, your, your defense was outstanding. But it seems like all those core guys are kind of moving on to different places in their career. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of speculation about Pete Carroll and his future. Do you think Pete is going to be a guy that's going to stick around, or does he see kind of the direction of that franchise and losing all these great players that had been the uh, cornerstone of that team? And do you think maybe Pete's going to be getting ready to retire pretty soon? Honestly, he showed no signs of it. Um, you know, I think it was a it was kind of – philosophical on his part you know a lot of us have been there for six seven eight years and his philosophy is more built for college you know four years guys rotate in rotate out uh and so you know we 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 had kind of heard all the stories we had kind of heard all this you know every 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 story every funny anecdote (laughs) that he had and you know and and honestly honestly because he he just recycles them and and they're cool stories and they're you know they're great for, for team chemistry and building, et cetera, et cetera. But we had, we had literally heard them all. We could, we could recite them before you even That's start funny. to say them. That's and, you know, I think that kind of went, went into it. And I, I think that it depends on how this season goes for them. You know, if they do great and, you know, get to the playoffs and, and continue to, to have the success, then, you know, I think he continues to go. But if, if things don't go as planned and they don't, they don't get to the playoffs and, you know, they have a rough year, and I think I think that'll weigh into his decision. You know, it, it, the legacy begins to get tainted at that point. I think you're right, man. I think a lot of times coaches get into that. I don't want to say rut, but like their their speeches and their their rah rah and their motivation falls on deaf ears. And I've seen it a couple times. When I was in Cincinnati when I first got there, they kind of reset everything, and then the team kind of took off just because it was young guys who hadn't heard the same stuff over and over again, and they were still motivated and listening to the coaching. So what do you think is as far as Seattle? Because things kind of you know things fell apart. There were reports about the locker room. What do you think is the biggest issue in Seattle? And was there a true locker room problem? There was not a locker room problem at all. You know that was that was that was false. That was that was somebody fabricating something out of out of nothing. You know if you come yeah. like I said before, if you come to any any practice of any competitive team and you get out there and you hear some trash talking, you could say you could say hey their locker room is in turmoil because they have trash talking on, on the football field. Right. Or you could say hey, they have competitive football practice environment because there's trash talking on the football field, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like guys are in the locker room like, man, I hate this guy or this guy sucks or, this, you know, anything like that. It's on the field, hey, we're going to each other's necks at the end of the day. Um, once we step off the field, it's, it's, you know, slap on the butt, good practice, we yeah. out. Um, and that's all it was. I think I think at the end of the day it just, it just became an issue of devaluing um, core players, you know, players that, that, that are playing at a high level and, and really being curious about younger players and, you know, curious about the unknown, you know, that they say, maybe, maybe this guy is going to be the next guy instead of saying, Hey, you have, you have hall of fame talents, you know, in your secondary, you know, how about you ride this out? It'd be like Pittsburgh saying, you know, Troy Palomalu was, 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 is great, but you know, let's figure out what this guy behind him has. This is <laughs> right. Troy and, and figure it out yeah. from there. Yeah. Troy was pretty good. I played against him a few times, uh, but I think you're exactly right about the part about chemistry in the locker room. Um, that's the danger of having the media around all the time because sometimes they don't understand the dynamics of a locker room or a practice, and they could be there for a half hour or an hour and hear defense and offense going at it and think that it's something that it's not. And uh, the, I can't tell you how many times we've had spirited practices that ended in fights, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you go in the locker room and you put your arm around your, the same guy that you were fighting, and now you're best friends in the world. So I think it takes being in those NFL locker rooms and being part of that 
team to really sort of understand the dynamics. And uh, unfortunately, it is easy to take just one little example and extrapolate and, and make it into a story that w- really there's nothing there. Exactly. Yeah, like, that's why That's why a lot of football guys and a lot of, a lot of guys who played in this league looked at that story and was like, okay, so that's every team in the playoffs. That, that you can make this story about, right. you know. Yeah, right. I mean, maybe 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 they treat the quarterback a little better other places, but here, you know, it's, it's dog eat dog. It's, it's everybody. Everybody can get. Everybody gets to gets to deal with that. You know, if I'm if I'm if I'm having a terrible practice and receivers are coming at me, nobody's going to make a story like, oh my god, that's how that's how crazy they're coming at Richard Sherman. Sometimes, boy, you should have stopped him. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're you're with the San Francisco 49ers, a new setting and a place you can kind of take that edge to. And, and probably help him get over the hump, to be honest, man. Rich, we appreciate you joining us. We always say this, we, we announce everybody that we interview as the best in NFL history. But when we say you're the best corner in NFL history, this might be the first time we're, it we're actually, not actually holds lying. up. It <laughs> might actually hold up, man. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Congratulations, and we'll talk to you soon, Sharm. Thank you. Thanks for being on it. Thank you for having me. All right, it's time for the Tomahawk Q&A session. Fans can send in your questions at hashtag Tomahawk on Twitter or go to the Tomahawk Show Reddit page. Mm-hmm. Our first question comes from Twitter at Chet Yes. Can you guys break down Duke in a podcast? What do you guys think of Duke Johnson's game? Oh, I love Duke Johnson's game, man. I think Duke is probably one of the most versatile players in the league that doesn't get recognition for it. When he first came to the Browns, they like lined him up at receiver, and he was running routes. And I kid you not, he was probably the, maybe the – second or third best route runner obviously behind me <laughs> on the team but like he is like that good like he, he can catch like a receiver uh I, I don't know his would you have his numbers i know he has like over like a thousand yards rushing and like maybe like 1700 receiving yards in his career in his short career already right he's got a lot like of receptions for a running back i and mean which like is, near the top like all time amongst a guy who's played three or four years in the yes first three years yes and i mean duke doesn't want to hear anything about being like a third down back because he thinks you know, and he should think that, that he has what it takes to be the guy. I think it's just going to take a little more of a body of work because he's so good as a receiver for people to realize, yo, this is a legit running back. Hawk, modesty has never been in your toolbox. Let's just put it that way. That's not what I was born into. But that's right. Uh, Duke, <laughs> one of my favorite teammates of all time. In all seriousness, yes, I love him. As a person, as a player, mm-hmm. he is so bright and so talented on the field, off the field. He's an outstanding teammate unbelievable personality he's incredible on the field because the way he runs routes the way he catches the ball Mm -hmm. the way he can make things happen with the ball in his hands he's been the best playmaker I've probably played with in my career in 11 years Um, so I love Duke and I think if he was playing for a playoff team the last two three years he would be one of the faces of the NFL. I think yes. he's that talented. When when we gave him the ball in the run game, he would always find the hole. He was very good at reading the defense, finding the openings, making the plays. And then when he gets out into the open field, he's very difficult to tackle. Yeah. Not to mention when you put him in the slot, he's a mismatch for just about every nickel or anybody Dude. that tries to cover him because he does run those routes and he is so shifty. But then he gets the ball in his hands and he's 220 pounds. Yeah. He's a lot bigger than most of those guys that uh, those nickels will see out in the slot. People think that he's like a scat back, and he's not. He's like, like he's you put said, together, man. He's like 215 pounds. Solid. He's the lead, like the all-time leading rusher from the University of Miami. Now yes. think about the running back. Think about backs. that. Big name. In three think years. So he came out a year early, and he's the all-time leading rusher in front of, like, Clinton Portis, in front of Willis McGahee, in front Edrin of James. Edrin James, like all these big, big-name, Frank Gores, the, these big-name running backs. These are Hall of Fame caliber running backs. He's the all-time leading rusher, and he was a guy when he, he came out early, and when he got to the Browns, you had the, like, it's imagination, you know, young guy, right? He's, a, he's very, very young, but like you said, he's so mature. He works his butt off constantly. He's like one of those guys you never have to worry about, mm-hmm. right? Like so when you're in a game, you don't ever think, like, is this guy going to do the right thing? Or if a play doesn't work, you never think that was Duke's fault. And even if it is his fault, you're never like, ah, oh, damn it, Duke, come on. Because you know it's like one of those things, like, oh, it's just mistakes happen because I know Duke has done everything he needed to do to make sure this play worked. Duke was like a coach in that running back room. He was so smart. He was the one that would coach up all those guys on not only the pass protection stuff, but the mm-hmm. run game, what he should be looking at. Um, he was just uh, – he's an incredible talent, and I hope the Browns can lock him up for the long term because if they don't, mark my word, yes. Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers <laughs> is going to want to pick him up because for sure. he was the one guy that when we put him back there when he was a rookie, 
he was natural at reading the outside zones yes. the way that Kyle liked it. So I definitely could say a, if, like you said he's a mismatch in the past, absolutely. Which, which Kyle looks for Kyle loves that, and uh, so if for some reason Cleveland's not able to come to a long term contract agreement with him, just watch Kyle and the Forty ers are going to be probably scooping him up. Yeah, for a lot of money. All right, our next question. I know Hawk is very passionate about this one. This one comes from our Reddit page from Pork Chop Sandwiches. Oh, my guy, Pork Chop Sandwiches. <laughs> no, that's not what you're passionate about. The oh. question is what you're passionate about. What do the guys think of the current versus classic Browns uniforms? Oh, man. Is this something players care about? Joe, I'll let you take this one first, man. Uh, you know, I get asked this question a lot about uniforms, and I'm like the last guy on earth that should ever talk about fashion or <laughs> any of that stuff because I have no fashion sense whatsoever. And honestly, the only thing that I don't like is all white because of how fat it makes you look as a lineman. <laughs> uh, but other than that, white, brown, brown, white, all these different uniforms, it doesn't really matter to me. The thing that I will say, and I'll put my hat on this, is I like Cleveland across the front of the jerseys. That's an addition that I've enjoyed. I think that looks cool. I think it represents the city well. I think the team, the football team, the blue-collar nature of the city all kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. So uh, the one thing I hope the Browns keep is the Cleveland across the front of the uniform. Okay. Are you ready for my sound? Here's uh, a hot take. Hot, hot take. Hot take. Typical, typical receiver is going to have a lot of opinions about the Hot take. Uniform. Joe was exactly right in saying he knows nothing about fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. When I seen these uniforms, I hated them. I hated the color change. I hated the orange being oranger. Like, I wasn't a fan of them. They've grown on me a little bit, but I was just a super-duper fan of the old-school uniforms. I feel like the classic teams need to stay classic. Like, I don't think the, the Steelers should deviate from their uniforms too much. I never feel like the Cowboys should deviate. I feel like the Packers and the Browns are also in that that fraternity of, like, strong football tradition that there has to be some hint of all the, the legendary players and when the organization was at its height. That's the thing I loved. I used to – I loved the 2014 uniforms, and even before that, when they would go brown on brown, and it was just very simple – but I thought they were some of the sweetest uniforms in the league. When they changed them, it may be, like I said, it could be the, you know, the tradition, the tradition in me. But when they changed them, I wasn't super excited about it at all. And even still, like, I didn't like the way the uniforms fit. You know, and they didn't like everything about it. Just I was like, I, I wish you can go back to the, the old uniforms. And it made me look way shorter, too. I think <laughs> the fact that the numbers were, we're so really getting big, to the important part now. This is really why yeah, I didn't this, like and, it. And let's get to the nitty gritty. The, ra the numbers wrapped around my chest. <laughs> And they were touching each other. <laughs> so <laughs> I just wasn't a fan. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk. Again, remember to subscribe and rate our show five stars anywhere podcasts are available. Share with all your friends and family, man. This is a show that is literally taking over the universe. So you don't want to miss it. Be a part of it. Be a part of something great. Joe, any last thoughts? My last thoughts is it's been an exciting week in free agency. A yeah. lot of guys moving around, a few unexpected moves. But I think overall, the one thing I'm going to take away is uh, John Dorsey, big Tomahawk fan. Yeah. That's he listened to me when I said sign Tyrod Taylor. You so know I'm excited I, about that. He must have known you were retiring because he started listening to all your your points <laughs> and advice here on the Tomahawk. and. Now we know you're making a move into the front office. Yeah, it's uh, been leaked right here. You heard it here first. Yeah, there you go. Danny? And to the Shermanator, Richard Sherman, Joe Hawk yourself. Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>